Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Father God, you are merciful to us sinners. Father, you're so gracious to send us word of your coming. You're so gracious to give us this word, God, to know you and trust you and see what you have done. Father, I pray that we could be bold like John the Baptist, that we wouldn't let the comforts of this world keep us from proclaiming the truth. Father, I I just ask that you would forgive us when our repentance is merely a feeling and not an action in our lives. God, I pray that you would teach us how to be true repenters. God, to bear that fruit of repentance that comes from pursuing you and turning from the things that are not of you, God. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith, God. We need many things, God. We need rain. We need rest. We need um, wisdom. But God, we're desperate for you above all things, God. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today, God, and it would be um, as if you were talking just to us. Father, I pray that you would put your hand on Chris and God, that you would use him um, in a mighty way, Father. God, I pray what starts here at Fellowship Church today, God, would, would spread out of this building as we leave today, God, that it would reach our communities and our families. God, that it would be a blessing to you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sandra. 
Okay, quick pastor confession time. I, all caps, love John the Baptist. I just got to know, I am a super fan, right? Like if you had like biblical posters on the wall, you remember putting posters on the wall like Dominique reverse dunk or Jordan tongue out, right? I would have a John the Baptist poster, him pointing you brood of vipe, like him just pointing it out. Like I, I mean, I'm a super fan, right, of John the Baptist. I think this, I wish I could be like a one little like iota of the witness that John the Baptist was to the world. Like that's my joy and my calling because he is just different, isn't he? Like he had this ability to be humble, right? Like Jesus is coming, man, I can't even touches sandals, and yet bold, like he is a brood of vipers, like that's not a compliment, right? So he just, he had this ability to just be like inviting enough that people would come into the water and confess their sins, but he wasn't afraid to get a little spicy, right? And John the Baptist, he was like the hot sauce, you're like, hey, can I have something hotter? That was John the Baptist, okay? He, he had this ability to like stir things up and prepare things and get things ready. And so, man, I'm excited about the word today because, man, I love this story of John the Baptist, one of my favorite characters in all the word. And um, as we jump in, we're not going to get very far, right? Because you look at verse 1, it says, in those days. And so he sort of gives us this little time stamp at the beginning, in those days. And so we need to kind of understand a few things. Last week, uh, we started off with the begats, right? Remember that awesome song, John? on the thing about the begats, right? And then after the begats, we talked about the birth of Jesus, and now we have zoomed forward to Jesus getting ready to start his ministry. 30 years in the future, right? He's, we zoom, zoom, zoomed onto that, but it goes even deeper than that. Because if you remember last week, we talked about in the Old Testament that there were these clear evidences that someone was coming Something was coming into the world, right? And it gave us things like the location, right? We had Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which gave us this location that something different was fixing to come. And so it said, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be named among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is a ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days. So a king was coming, but he was a king that has been here, that was rooted in creation and was rooted in the very beginning, the ancient of days, and now he was going to come into the world. But they didn't just tell us where, they told us how. What was the method by which this blessed king was going to come? He was going to be born of a virgin. And Isaiah gives that testimony. Isaiah even gives a testimony in chapter 11, verse 1, that he was going to be in the line of David. He was going to have this kingly lineage and, and be able to be one that was the, the root of the stump of Jesse, as it said in Isaiah chapter 11. But not only that, but we got a, a timing. We got a timeline somewhere between, remember Daniel chapter 9 and those verses 24 and, and 27 in that range, right? we saw that the decree to rebuild Jerusalem in 445, to the destruction of the temple, 7080. During that time, this blessed king was going to come. And so we have these signposts, these clear evidence that something is going to happen during this time. And so as we're looking for it, that, okay, we're looking for this thing to happen. But also, when it says in those days, we have to realize that the people of God, the Jewish people, they just had this hunger for God to speak. Because for 400 years, there had been silence. In fact, if you turn back in your Bible, just a few pages, you'll get to Malachi. You turn back a few pages, but you turn back 400 and something years. 
into Malachi. And you'll see that Malachi was predicting that one was going to come. This king was going to come. These different things were going to happen. But then silence. And, and a lot of things happened to the Jewish nation during that time. Greece, Alexander the Great, which we talked about before. Then Egypt conquers them. Then there was this desolation, the abomination in the temple. Antiochus Epiphanes came in and did this horrible thing. And then the Maccabean Rebellion. The, the country was had things happening. Yet, God had not spoken. And they were looking ahead. They were, they were wanting and desiring for God to speak. So if you turn back in like Malachi chapter 3, we see sort of this group of people anticipating. And when he says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. Isn't that beautiful? They were talking about God, and God listened, right? He paid attention, and he, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not servant, that this time was coming, that the king was going to return, and the people of God were going to be a treasured possession, and the wicked were going to be judged. And then if you fast forward, he starts talking about this day of the Lord, and just for time's sake, we're going to jump forward to verse 4. He's talking about this day of the Lord, and then he gives them kind of two um, signposts looking forward. He says this, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Do you wonder why the Pharisees were so um, intense about the law? This verse would be one of the reasons. Hold on to my word. And the Pharisees would say, this is the law, but then we're going to make more laws to follow the laws. Then we're going to make tradition to follow the laws, which help us follow the laws. And they got so focused on the law of Moses that they missed the next verse. They miss exactly what happens next. As verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So here's another clear evidence. Malachi is saying, One is going to come in the spirit of Elijah to pave the way for the Lord. One is going to come this prophet is going to come and tell us these things before the great and awesome day of God. So here's evidence number five. Another clear evidence for us to be looking for. If, if the king is going to come, there's going to be a herald that comes before him, a spokesman going, the king is coming. Hey, he's coming. Get ready. Get ready. The king is coming. He's showing up. Everybody get ready. This man was going to come in the spirit of Elijah to proclaim that. Who was that man? John the Baptist, my man, right? He, he, he was coming in order to prepare the way of the Lord. Look, let's jump into it even more. It says, in those days, those days of hunger and seeking of God, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John the Baptist came. What did he come for? To be a witness, to be a reliable witness. We've seen these reliable witnesses already. David, Daniel, um, Elijah, all these different people. Now, here we see John the Baptist. In fact, when you go to John chapter 1, you see this purpose laid out that John the Baptist was going to be this witness. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. What was his purpose? 
to witness to everybody that Jesus was the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John the Baptist was not the light, but he was pointing ahead. Here he comes. Be ready. You're in darkness. You're trapped inside of a a week that is just a tough week. Look for the light. You see, we tend to find our hope in, in, in wrong things, don't we? The, the, the false lights of the world, they, they promise hope. Anybody remember when you were a kid and we used to sit out on the porch because we didn't have phones and TVs and cool stuff like that? Um, well, I mean, we had TV, but anyway, I'm not that old. But we'd sit on the porch, and do you remember bug zappers? You remember bug zappers? Like, I don't know if there's just like a, a morbid kid. I'm like, come on. I'm like cheering for that bug to fly in there and like zap. It would get them, right? Anybody remember that? Am I the only Okay, a few of us are there. Right? We'd sit there and we like couldn't wait. This false light was there. Right? It's just like our sin. Our sin is like, hey, over here, come to the light, and then zap, it gets us like, ooh, I'm not doing that again. Ooh, shiny. Right? We just, we're just like, we keep going back and zap, we get, I'm not, never gonna do that again. No, I'm not gonna look at that again. I'm not gonna do that again. Never. Oh. And we just, we just are so enamored with these false lights, but the true light was coming in the world. And John the Baptist was the witness. The true witness to say, hey, get ready. The king is coming. The light of the world is coming. Get ready. Okay, so this is the testimony. And here's John the Baptist's message. If the people are going to get ready, what is he calling them to do? Verse 2, it says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is John the Baptist's message? Oh, you see that false light? Repent. Turn from it. Look at the true light. Where does your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord. Look for it. Search it out. Seek it out. Find that true light. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this term, kingdom of heaven, we need to define it because we're going to be talking about it throughout all of our study, throughout the entire book of Matthew. This this term is going to keep coming up. So what does it mean when we say the kingdom of heaven? Here's sort of a definition for you. It's the area or the space where God is reigning, or more specifically, where Jesus is reigning as king. What is the kingdom of heaven right now? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. He's won. He conquered death. We sing about it. Do you believe it? There's nothing for us to fear in these things because we have Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God. So wherever Jesus is reigning right now is the kingdom of God. Does Jesus reign in your heart? Is he reigning over your emotions, over your desires, is Jesus the king of your heart? Is he the king of your mind? Is your mind in an arena that you're like, oh, I'm going to close off this room and not let Jesus in here? Or does Jesus have full control over your life? Is he the king? Or is he just like a, a, a confidant? Is he somebody that I listen to their advice sometimes? Or is he the one who reigns in our hearts and our soul and our mind? Are we a living embodiment of the kingdom of God? That's kind of what we're challenged, being challenged to do throughout the whole book of Matthew. Repent for the kingdom of heaven as at hand. Jesus is ushering in something new through his life. For this was who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, and this is John the Baptist, Matthew talking about him, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. Woo! There's a quote out exactly out of Isaiah 40, verse 3. Right? Get ready. He can, this John the Baptist has come to be the one to prepare the way of the Lord, 
to get things straight, to get things ready for him to show up. And then it gives a description of John, right? When you think about John the Baptist, do you have a picture of him kind of in your mind? Like I have a picture of the poster, right? Do you have a picture of that? Because here's a description. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. So immediately we're like, what? He eats what? He's eating locusts? Like he's just out there like picking them up and like, mmm, tasty, right? And my, now again, you know me, kind of Bible nerd, because I love the Bible. It's so crazy how the Bible fits together. Is a locust clean food? Is it acceptable? Did you know that even in Leviticus, it tells you what kind of insects you can eat? Leviticus 3, 22. We're going to love to put our Leviticus in there, right? It actually tells you you can eat locusts. It's considered a clean animal. Of them, you may eat the locusts of any kind, the bald locusts. Anybody seen the bald locust? Don't know what that is, right? Barely even know what a locust looks like. It doesn't sound scrumptious. But anyway, um, it says a cricket of any kind, a grasshopper. Anybody eating a cricket? Come on, it's okay. A few of us yeah, back there, right? They have the dried crickets. You're like, hmm, wonder what that tastes like. Not good, right? The little spiny things on the legs. Anyway, sorry, we're getting distracted. All right. Grasshopper. So the, the book of Leviticus even says, hey, the locust, the wild honey, that was acceptable to eat. But this description of John can make you think, well, okay, John, he's a little out there, right? He's a little crazy. He's a little different. No, no. All of this is pointing towards something that's even more, even deeper. In fact, let's go back and let's find it. Look back at Second uh, Kings chapter 1. Not First Kings, Second Kings. I want to read a story for you, right? Because who was John the Baptist supposed to be a mirror of? Elijah. Coming in the power of Elijah. That's what Malachi said a second ago. Look at the story about Elijah and see if you notice anything, any connection that you have between these interesting characters. Now, Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this sickness. Guys, let's not run to Beelzebub to get advice. Okay. If you don't learn anything today, learn that, right? We don't run to Beelzebub, right? And so Elijah's going to be here, and he's going to step in. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from your bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went, and the messengers returned to the king and said to them, he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, it is because there is, is it because there's no God in Israel that you are sending us to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed that to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. So what was the description of Elijah? Like how did he recognize this was Elijah? Because he wore a coat of hair and had a belt of leather around his waist. There wasn't a photo of Elijah, right? Most wanted, Elijah. Don't ask him advice. There was none of that. But there was something distinctive about Elijah, what he wore, that immediately this king knew who had spoken. And this king gets mad. 
And he sends out, a, it's an interesting story, sends out a troop of 50 to get Elijah and bring him in. And well, if I'm the man of God, let fire come from heaven. Vroom, all 50 guys dead. And then comes another group of 50, zoom, right, destroyed. Here comes a third group of 50, like, please, I, I see what happened, right? Please, right? Don't, don't send fire from heaven. And, and he ends up going to the king, and the king dies. Anyway, interesting story. But what made Elijah distinctive? The power of God and the things that he wore. Why did John the Baptist wear these things? To point people towards he was the Elijah. The distinctive coat that he wore, the belt of leather that he did, the message that he had, all proclaimed this was Elijah coming to prepare the way of the Lord. All of these things screamed out there was something different about John. What can we learn from his life that we can emulate in our life? Look what it says in verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptizing him um, in the, baptizing by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So here's, here's what you're imagining. All the regions, right, all around, right, you can see right above the Dead Sea over here on the right is Bethany, which is east of the Jordan. There was another Bethany kind of on the Mount of Olives, on the backside of the Mount of Olives. But this kind of area was where they, they were baptizing at. And all the regions around were coming out to see John the Baptist. And here's what it looked like, right? They would come into the water and say, um, this is a baptism of repentance. So confess your sins, and then we'll baptize you, and you'll be forgiven. How would that go in modern-day church? I'm like, oh, Jude, your turn, buddy. Come up, and let's confess your sin to everybody, all right? Like, I can barely get people to confess their sin when I'm like, man, I struggle with this. How many of y'all do? And you're like, raise your hand if you struggle with that. You're like, like, you want to be honest, but you don't want to be like, yes, I struggle with cussing. Yes, I struggle with pornography. Yes, I struggle with gossip. Yes, I'm a liar. We, we just don't do that. Even though the Bible says confess your sins to one another for healing, we, just, we, we would struggle with this, wouldn't we? We would struggle with this concept of letting everybody know our junk. It's scary. Are they still going to love me? Problem is that we all have junk that we need help with. We need brothers and sisters to walk with us through these things. So this is the picture. Come out to get baptized. Confess your sins. Dunk. You're now cleansed, right? That's the picture that we have in John the Baptist here in this picture. Confessing. But when he, sees, when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, ooh, it's getting, it's getting spicy, Right? Because John, he sees these Pharisees and these Sadducees, and so he says, you brood of vipers. Like, I was even trying to practice. How would you say this in Greek, right? It's genima akena, right? But I was like, I can't teach y'all that. Y'all can be walking around and go, genima akena, I mean, brood of vipers everywhere. That's not good to learn in church, okay? Um, but John's like calling them out. This is not a compliment, is it? It was like, oh, you're such a brood of vipers, uh, that's not kind of how it works, right? Why is he calling them out? Why is he saying, you are a brood of vipers? You're deceiving the snake, the deceiver. Why are you a group of deceivers is what he's saying to them in there. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Woo! Like, why are you here? What's going on? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Woo! What is he calling the Pharisees to do? Bear fruit that comes from repentance. Because remember, how do the Pharisees pray? Lord, thank you that I'm not like this guy. 
I give 10% of everything, then I'm not like a tax collector or a sinner. That was the Pharisees' attitude. They were high and lifted up. But guess what? The higher and higher you lift yourself up, the further you have to fall when God humbles you. It's like, hey, bear fruit in coming with repentance. Admit the areas that you fall short. You don't have to pretend like you're perfect. You don't have to be perfect. Only Christ is perfect. Let's trust in him more than we trust in ourselves. So he's calling out, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. And so he gives them a warning. He warns them, oh, you're putting your faith in your birthright. You're putting your faith in being a child of Abraham. Be careful. He says, for even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he's warning them, Pharisees, be warned. When you put your trust in these things, you're going to fall short. And it reminds me of a conversation that Jesus had later on. In John chapter 8, um, there was this conversation um, with Jesus and, the, and maybe some of the same Pharisees and where they're beginning to, it gets, it gets a little hot and spicy in the, in the conversation, right? They're challenging each other in these different things. Look what it says there in John chapter 8. We'll start in verse 39. It says, they therefore answered him, Abraham is our father. So what are they appealing to Jesus on behalf? They're like, you're doing all these things. We don't believe you're from God. We have Abraham as our father. Similar to what John is challenging them with in this passage. It says, Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Because Abraham, he left everything to follow God's call. Not, they're not willing to leave the things that they believe to follow him. Right, if, you, if you were Abraham, you, you would act in righteousness. You would believe and have faith because to, his faith was counted as righteousness. If you were like that, Abraham wasn't perfect. Remember Egypt and the sister thing and all that? But Abraham was willing. He had compassion on others. He was willing to cry out, ask God for grace in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. He had all these things about him that were willing. He was willing to worship God. Are you really like Abraham? That's what he's challenging him with. And he says, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And whoo, it's fixing to get good, right? Because what he's saying is like, you put all of your eggs in the basket that I'm a child of Abraham. And that's how I get to heaven. All of your identity is wrapped up in your birthright. And they put this group identity over following Jesus. They're so wrapped up in this identity, they can't see that it's about living a life of love for Jesus. And they're caught up in this identity and they're, they're unable to let go of it. And Jesus is calling them out on it, saying, hey, your father is someone different. And so what happens when you get called out? When you get called out that you're trusting in something wrong, how, how do you react? Do you react hum with humility? Like, yes, Lord, I thank you for showing me that. Or do you attack? So many times when your identity gets gets wounded, we tend to attack. And look how they attack. They said to him, we were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. What did they do? We know your birth. Yeah, virgin birth. Sure. We know that you were, you were conceived out of wedlock. We know Joseph was going to divorce her quietly. And they attack his character. But Jesus comes back and answers them. He said, but Jesus said to them, if God were your father, 
you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not yourselves, or why do you not understand what I say? It is because you, you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not understand the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Woo! Man, you're following your father, the enemy. And what does it tell us about the enemy? He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And let me ask you this. Do you believe him? I mean, we know the word of God is true, right? Amen? The word of God is truth. Do you believe this or do you believe the thoughts in the back of your head? Do you believe the lies? Stop believing the lies, please. Stop believing what the enemy says about you and believe what God says about you. He says, you're ugly, you're unlovable, but yet you're a beautiful creation of God. And you are loved by, even while you're sinners, Christ died for you. Like, you're, not, you're not worthy. No one's ever going to pick you for something. Yet he said, you are, God said, you are my workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You have a purpose in God. Do you believe that? Or do you believe the lies? You're all alone. No one would ever pick you. And yet God gave us his spirit to live inside of us? We're never alone. We're never forsaken. Does the word of God echo louder than the lies in the back of your head? People have told us these lies all of our life, and we believe them instead of believing the word of God and what God says about us. Be set free. Don't let the lies dominate your life. Lay them at the foot of the cross. Repent. Like, no, I don't want to believe this anymore. God, it's hard. Tell me what you say about me. Get in, get in the community with other people that can help you walk through these things. That, that's why I'm here today. The only reason I'm here today is Dan Jeroy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and me believing what God said about me from his word. That's it. That, that, that's what God has done. Set us free from those lies. Do you believe that you can be free from those lies? Think about it. Do you even know what you would be like without that lie echoing in the back of our head? You'd be free. You'd be free to go out into the world and tell people about Christ because you're not worried what they're going to say about you. I'm secure in who I am in Christ. I'm not going to be worried about people. You say I look ugly. I don't care. I guess God would need an ugly preacher. I don't know. right? Whatever people say about you, you don't care because you know what God says about you. That's true freedom in Christ. Get set free. When you believe the lies, you're believing the enemy. He's the father of lies. Let's have God as our father. Let's have belief in Jesus Christ. Let's lay down our desires and listen to what he says about us. That's the good news of the gospel. Being set free because of what Jesus has done for us. And this is what John is just proclaiming in here. Look what he says in verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance which means you got to come back again and again and again. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Woohoo! So awesome. Can you imagine? You are John the Baptist. Everybody from the entire area is coming to see you, and you're like, like I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Like I'm not even. I shouldn't even touch those things. Which some of y'all might say because you don't like feet. But anyway. Um, 
You're like, oh, I, I don't, I can't, do, I'm nothing compared to Jesus, right? He must increase, I must decrease. That's John the Baptist's message. Humble before, he's like, but he's coming and he's going to baptize you and it's going to be different. I'm baptizing you for repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, he, when he baptizes you, you're getting drowned. The old you is going to die. And the new you, this new creation is going to come. Woo! We don't have to go back and forth and get dunked all the time, right? And every shower, confess sin so it will wash us away. No, once and for all, Christ died for us. Set us free. The one sacrifice, good for all of eternity. That's the message that he's pointing to. And he says this in verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. And I know, we have no idea what this looks like. Like, what? We don't farm like this, right? But I want to show you a picture. This is something that we saw when we were in Israel. We went to a, the Nazareth village, which is basically like night in Bethlehem, um, but like full time. And so they had this village where they were doing different things. Like, for example, this is the winnowing fork and taking the wheat, and they would throw it up in the air. And the wheat, because of its weight, would fall down, but the wind would take the chaff away. The, the, the wasted stuff, the things that weren't supposed to be in the harvest, where we get thrown away. But it took this tossing. And then if you were grounded, you would fall back to the ground. And at the end of the, this threshing floor, we covered with the wheat. We covered with the harvest. And all the chaff has gone away. Whew. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want my heart to go through this process. Tossed up in the air and see what lands again. Tossed again, see what lands again. But suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. If you want to be mature and complete in the Lord, you have to face trials of many kinds. So this, this idea is like he's going to do this. And if you're faithful, you're going to land firm on the foundation, which is Jesus. If not, the winds, the currents of our culture, the teachings that aren't in the word, they're going to carry you away. The lies, they're going to grab you and they're going to pull you away. No, we're going to stay grounded in him. And then this interesting thing happened. This interesting story happened. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Hmm. Interesting. Now, when you're picturing Jesus coming to John, you're picturing the place that they were going to baptize. I don't know how you picture Maybe you picture it something like this. It looks like kind of greenish water and looks like it nice and clean. It looks like really fun. But I can tell you, I got to visit this earlier this summer, and this is the reality. Uh-huh. Like you might be buried with Christ and come up with something <laughs> that brings you to see Jesus, all right, when you're done with this baptism, right? But I had a chance to baptize two of the sweet ladies, sweetest ladies in our church, right, Miss Margaret and Sherry. Got a chance to be baptized there. Um, but, man, when you, if you were to go to the river in San Marcos, right, and you were to go, like, let's jump in, like, and you see this water, or you're like, hmm, I think I'm going to go find a pool, right? We're gonna, can you imagine, do you think John the Baptist was like, hey, guys, we canceled our baptism today because the water's a little murky. It's a little, yeah. Is that how you picture John the Baptist? Or you picture him in the middle of the water like, come on in. Like, ooh, it's gross. Like, you're gross. Come on in. Like, I don't know how you picture John. But I don't think he cared. Though. He didn't care if there's like a little water, a lot of water. Like, you're going to get dunked in here. I'm telling you. Confess your sins to everybody. All of them. If you want to be forgiven of them, confess them. This was John. He's like, oh, the water's too cold. What? No excuses. Do you want to be set free or not? 
hmm, do you want to be set free or not? That's the question that we see from John the Baptist. Are you willing to be unique? Are you willing to be bold? Are you willing to be out there? Uh, or no, it might, might cost me something. And so Jesus shows up, right? He shows up to John. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Like, wait, you're, like, I can't even touch your, I can't even wash your feet. I'm not worthy of that. And you want me to baptize you? Yet, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Whoo, there's such a good message in this. What if God asks you to do something that you don't feel like you're ready for? I mean, John is like, okay, I can baptize everybody, but you don't need to be baptized. Okay, confess your sins. Silence. He didn't have anything to confess. In fact, if you go back to that John 8 story, when they're accusing Jesus of being like a son of a demon, things like that, he's like, who convicts me of sin? Who? Come on. Who, who, who convicts me of sin? Who says I've sinned? What you got? And they don't have an answer to him. They don't, they don't have an answer. Jesus is not coming to get baptized because he needs forgiveness of sins. He's coming to complete something, to show us something. Look what happens next. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Woo! Anybody wish you were there? Like I, you know I'm a little strange, but I, I hope that heaven, they have like heavenly VR. You know, like where you can go back and sit on the bank and like watch all this stuff happening. That would be so cool, right? I mean, the heavens open. God's voice, like a thunder, just comes out. Here comes the Spirit, right? Landing on him. It echoes of creation, where the Spirit hovered over the water. God spoke and was created. Jesus walked among. It calls us back to this time where from the foundation of the world, just as Malachi said, the Ancient of Days is now here. This is different. This baptism is different than any other baptism that we've seen. Something about this king, something about this person is going to be different. You see how John was a, a herald to the king. But listen, he didn't feel worthy. I, I, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. He said, let, let it be so. And he said, yes. What if God is calling you to do something? You're like, no, no, I can't do that. Like, I, I'm not worthy. To, uh, yeah, I know. You forgave me. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not created that way. Oh, yeah, you created me with a purpose. Okay, maybe so. But still. And he said, no, no, I want you to step out. I want you to do something that maybe you don't feel worthy of, but do it for me because through that, I'm going to get glory. John got none of the glory. All of the glory, all the amazement was focused on Jesus. And now he's going to begin this journey to become the king. What was John's job? To herald the king. Man, are you willing to do that? Man, when I hear John the Baptist, man, I hope we all, let's go out and make straight the way of the Lord so that Christ can come in to people's hearts and their minds and they can see the truth of the gospel. That's our call. This week, maybe he'll give us an opportunity. This week, maybe he'll call us to step out of the zone. We're like, okay, I'm going to trust you with that. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for John the Baptist, what an incredible witness for you. Lord, help us to be a witness in the same way. 
to proclaim your glories and your beauty to the entire world. Lord, help us to trust you as a Lord and Savior, as our blessed King. So, Lord, bless us this week as we go out and as we experience life. Lord, I pray that you'll give us a sense of peace. Lord, give us a sense of joy in our hearts despite weeks that are difficult. Lord, help us to see your son and see everything in our world as an opportunity to let the world know about the beauty of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, we are so glad that you chose to worship with us today, and we pray that um, that God moved in your heart and that God's going to keep moving in your heart. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we are spending some time this season celebrating some of our teams, some of our teams that, that tend to go unseen, some of our teams that we, we don't, they don't often get the spotlight. And this week, we want to just say a big thank you to our, our, our Orchard Park and our Legend Oaks teams. Uh, they go and they serve in nursing homes, and they, they serve in assisted living homes, and they're in those homes on, on the first and third Thursday of every month, and they go in, and they, they lead Bible study, and they have devotion time and prayer, and they lead them in music and, and worship, and this is a big deal, because it even though it doesn't get seen, even though it's not advertised, even though they're not getting praised for it every day, they are going and loving on people who often aren't loved on. They're going and, and bringing the word to these people. And so if, if you've ever served on that team, we just want to say, first of all, thank you. Thank you for doing that. You're amazing. We, we love you. We, we're thankful for you. We're so glad that God is using you. And so um, if you're interested in serving on that team, if that's something that sounds like, man, I, I, I want to pour into that. I want to help with that. You can go find Paul, Pastor Paul, and he can help you get plugged into that. And so that, that's just what we want to focus on this week and say thank you to that team. Um, women. We also have a really cool opportunity, opportunity, there it is, for you with Replicate Women's Discipleship. If We're a church who loves discipleship here. We love to pour into people, and this is a really cool opportunity for you women to get one-on-one -on -one discipleship, to, to grow in relationship with another woman as iron sharpens iron as you guys pour into each other. And so if that sounds like something that you're interested in, out in the lobby there's a table where you can get information, where you can sign up for that, you can meet some like-minded individuals who can help you get plugged into that. And so if you're interested in that, ladies, we, we encourage you to please sign up and, and get plugged in. That'll be great. Church, we're, we love you, and we're just so glad that we get to worship with you. And I just want to close with this verse here in, in John chapter 1, verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Church, I pray that you would believe through him this week. You're dismissed. <laughs>